Okay, good evening. We're continuing the series of the Talmud, of the Oral Torah. Today it's number 18. And of course, as you can see, every Wednesday at 8.30 sharp, we're starting. And uh, we have every week different topics, because we're reviewing the entire Talmud. It's called the Agadetot. To really learn the Talmud word by word, if you're a genius and you learn full day from morning to night, it will take you minimum seven years. That's if you're a genius. Not, uh, nothing may, great, it, can, it may take even 20 years. It depends on your head and depends on your efforts. But uh, we are not obviously reviewing the entire Talmud. We're speaking about topic, about stories that I reviewed and took out and prepared it in slides like this. Uh, it's a beautiful shortcut for us to know about many important subjects that the Torah speaks about. Last week, if you remember, we uh, finished with the story of Nakdimon ben Gurion when the uh, Jews were going to Yerushalayim and the three festivals and uh, three holidays and there was shortage with water, there's not enough water and he uh, he borrowed water for thousands of people that were there. And in the last minute, just when he needed to pay tons of gold for this water, Hashem made a nest and the water came down. And the guy was arguing. He said, no, it came down after sunset. And you still owe me the money. And the sun came out. So Mamash Hashem showed everyone a clear miracle for a person who did for all the others. Just that you know, uh, Nakdimon ben Gurion was one of three uh, philanthropists that were sponsoring uh, uh, the food and the needs of the people of Yerushalayim for three years in a row. Day by day, all the people of Jerusalem were eating thanks to his money and his storages. Uh, that's when the Romans were ambushing Jerusalem. There's no way, no coming in, no going out. So basically they had to manage with all the food that were there. There's no more supply. Until obviously the Jews surrender. So for three years, him and Kalba Savua and Tzitzita uh, Keset, uh, this is another name of one of the rich people of Yerushalayim, three people sponsoring the entire city. So today we're continuing. We're still in Masechet Anit. I hope to finish it today. This Masechet has a lot of Agade taught inside. Maybe we'll finish, maybe not, we'll see. There are different kinds of trees in the world. Some of them are softer than others. They're more flexible. So you can see, sometimes when you have a, a wood, you can see that some wood is more solid than others. Like every other raw material in the world, you know, you have metal and you have aluminum, which is softer, etc., etc. So the Gemara gives an example from the trees. The tree that is very difficult, very, very, very hard, it's called Erez. I think oak, if I'm not mistaken. And the tree that is very soft, it's called Kane. Kane, if you know, the sugar bamboos that they have, that people buy on the streets, that's called Kane. Long, skinny, and very tall, and round. That's called kane. That's very, very soft, very flexible. You can bend it. Bamboo is a kane, really. But uh, we're speaking now about 
The Gemara wants to give an advice to a person how to live his life. Obviously, there are two ways to be. One, you can be very stubborn, and you go with your head into the wall. You don't care. You never give up. You have to say the last word. Or you have to know when to give up and when to insist. You have, you have to know. Sometimes you must insist. If you're a wife and your husband tell you get into the car on Shabbat, uh, if not, I throw you out of the house, you have no permission to get in a, in a, in a car. Why? Chilul Shabbat, it's a serious sin. It's not a joke. You know, so you have to insist. And you have to sacrifice for the Shabbat. You don't say, okay, okay, it's your sin. I'm just going to sit in and do nothing. It doesn't work that way. We never found permission for, for peace in the family to make even Isurei de Rabbanan. Even sins from the Rabbanan, we have no permission to do. What we are allowed to do, the Torah say two things that we are allowed to do specifically. If everything was allowed, the Torah wouldn't give us two specific examples. When everything is allowed, the Torah speaks generally. When only specific things are allowed, the Torah mentions each one. Which are the exceptional scenarios that a person is allowed to make a scene for, the, for peace in the family? One time is when, uh, when, uh, when, you have, when you have two options, to say the truth or to lie. If you say the truth, it's going to create an argument with your wife. It can cause uh, problems with the peace in the family. You know, it can cause bad feeling to your relationship with your wife. Then you're allowed to lie. Where were you? You don't have to say the truth, because knowing she's getting offended, and it's going to create an argument and screaming, and who knows what's next. Sometimes it's better not to say the exact situation to get out of the problems for both of you. Then the Torah says it's permitted. If, uh, if your wife cried to the rabbi about something that you did wrong, and then you go to the rabbi and ask him, what did my wife tell you about me? Of course he's not allowed to tell you the truth. What do you expect? Abraham. Yeah, we learn from Abraham, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that uh, Sarah said, my husband is old, and Hashem changed the words, and he says, why she say that she's old? She didn't say she's old. My husband is old. And of course, Hashem doesn't come to instigate between husband and wife, which is a very serious thing. That's one scenario. To lie when there's no choice. You cannot go out of it without it, you permit it. When else you're allowed to make a change in your life for, the, for peace in the family? If God forbid your wife went into a room, a closed room or a place with another man, and for whatever reason you suspect that maybe she made a scene or something like that, so in that case, the Torah specifically said that you have to take her to the Kohen, they write the name of Hashem, you erase the name of Hashem in the water, and she has to drink it. If she sinned, she dies. If she didn't sin, she gets the best blessing that a person can get from the Kohen Gadol and Bet Amikdash, which means it's a, either you lose it all or you win it all. Unless if she confesses. She confesses, she doesn't have to die. She says, yeah, I made a sin. She's not allowed to stay with her husband. He's not allowed to touch her anymore. The marriage is annulled. And that's why Hashem allowed to erase his name, either to destroy the marriage or to save the marriage. But there's no in-between, which means don't ever listen to all kinds of ignorance that may tell you, no, no, Shlom Bayit, for Shlom Bayit you're allowed. You're allowed, you're allowed to eat not kosher for Shlom Bayit. That's okay. Don't listen to it. Hashem made Shlom Bayit, Hashem made marriage, Hashem said husband and wife, and he said, if you suspect your wife, which means you cannot live with her anymore as normal, 
I'm not interested in this kind of marriage. I want you to be comfortable with her. Why you suspect an innocent woman? Take her to the Kohen and clarify it. Today, unfortunately, the level of the generation went so low, we don't have this kind of clear miracles like this in a timing that you request. We don't have it. Which means we have a lot of big miracles, of course, don't get me wrong. Every day of our life we have tons of miracles. But to go like this, to snap, and a miracle happen right now, I doubt that if there's anybody in the world can do it today. Like, like people used to do it. Imagine going to the Kohen and she drinks it and everybody sees in their own eyes a miracle like this, that her wound explode and she dies, or the opposite. So it's nothing, it's out of the ordinary. Okay, so the Gemara said, don't be stubborn. Being stubborn, it's a very, very serious disease in the life of a person. It's mamash a mental disease, 100%. It's mamash destroying you from inside. It makes you angry, frustrated, upset, depressed, fighting with everyone. Even the people of your family cannot stand you. You go to yeshiva, you learn, nobody wants to be your chevruta because they know you're not learning for the truth. You're learning to be a winner, to win the arguments, to show you are right. You are the smarter. And that's what we say in Hebrew, Rosh Bakir, head to the, to the wall. I don't know if in English it sounds good, but that's a good, yeah, it's Mamash, head against the wall, not giving up. I'll die as long as I'm right. In, they made a sticker on the road, don't be right, be wise. If you want to be right, you'll be dead. Yeah, you'll be right, but you'll be dead. <laughs> if you see a fool next to you, back up. Let him go. Better you give up, let him go first, before you both of you will be dead. Or you'll be dead, right? That's a wise statement, a good sticker. So, the Torah said, be soft. Be soft. And, uh, and uh, they give an example of a kane that we write the Sefer Torah and the Mezuzah with that. Today, we write with feathers. Most of the Sofrim write with feathers, but there are still Sofrim who write with kane. Both of them are kosher to write, obviously. But kane, it's a softer tree, as we say. Why we do not write with the erez? With the erez? Because it's hard. The Torah wants to teach us to be soft, to give up, to forgive, not to be stubborn, and we move on. Uh, the Gemara brings an example. Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon, he came from Migdol Gdor, it's the name of a place, Mibet Rabo, and was riding on his donkey, walking by the lake, by the river, was very happy. Who, is, who are we talking here? You know who we're talking here about? The son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, which had 100% Ruach HaKodesh, better than a Navi, than a prophet. 13 years was with his father in a cave in Meron. The Romans were searching all over for them. They learned Torah with an angel. They wrote the Sefer Azor. I don't have to say more for us to understand who are we talking here about. Eventually, he walks, he rides on his donkey and he saw a very ugly man. Very ugly man. He says to him, Shalom Alecha Rabbi. The poor ugly man gave him respect. Hello, Rabbi. He didn't answer him. He didn't say, which means he didn't say hello. Right away he attacked him. He said, Reka. Reka, it's an expression, means empty. 
you're empty from any subject, no, nothing inside. Kama mechoarata, how ugly you are, he told him. The son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. What an ugly man. Are all the people in your hometown are ugly like you, or you are an exceptional, he asks him. Why, why did he speak to him like this? You know why? Because after so many years he was learning Torah, he felt he's the second God almost. It can happen. If you get to such a high level, sometimes you forget who you are. When they came out of the cave, the people who were there looking at, they get burned and fall died. That's what kind of level they reached. It's very scary. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, which was very humbled, we saw it in many, many cases in the Talmud, he told his son, if there are two people in the world alone that deserve the world to, to go on for them, it's me and you. If we're only me and you in the world, it's worth it for God to keep the world going, just for both of us, for the level that we reach. And I promise you, it's not a lie. That's the way it was. So he's selling to this man, uh, are all the people in your town are ugly like you? So he said to him, why don't you go to the artist who designed me and complain to him why he made me like that? Good answer, no? Right away, now, 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 when a person make a mistake, the mistake was done already. Now, one test you failed already. You failed, you insulted a man, Amalbin Pnei Chavero, it wasn't Berabim, it wasn't in front of people, it was between them. I assume he wouldn't do it in front of people, because someone who does it in front of people loses his share to the world to come. It's a huge price to pay to install the person in front of people. So he says, so from the minute he made the first scene, first mistake, now comes the second test. How do you react after you made a mistake? Do you back up? Do you apologize? How hard do you apologize? What are you willing to do to compromise the person? This is all one test after the other. Every second in life is a test. It's not over, okay, okay, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, goodbye. No, no, no. I'm sorry doesn't work so simple. Only in America you have this expression, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I take it back. In a life of a lie, when everything is one major huge lie, no, so big deal, you can say, I take it back. Anyway, nobody takes you serious. But in a life of a truth, a person search for the truth, you got to see how to correct the problem, not just to ignore it. So he said, right away he realized he made a scene, he came off the donkey, and he bowed down to him on the floor, like this. Lay down on the floor like this. He said to him, you're right, I made a big mistake, please forgive me. He said to him, I'm not forgiving you until you're going to go to the artist who designed me and tell him why he made me like that. He was following him all the way to his town. All the way. And he's still not forgiving him. And this is not a local rabbi here. We're talking one of the chief rabbis of the world here. When he saw all the people in the city coming out, he did not know how important he is. 
when he saw all the people of the town coming towards Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, to accept him, to welcome him, they told him, Rabbi, Rabbi, Mori, hello, Rabbi, hello, our teacher. He said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, the ugly man, who are you calling a rabbi? They said to the man that's following you. He said, if this is a rabbi, may we never have other rabbis like him in the nation of Israel. They got shocked. How do you dare to talk about him like this, right? Why are you saying this? He said, this is what he did to me. So they told him, even though he made a mistake, forgive him. Because he's a giant in the Torah. It pays for you to forgive him. He he said to them, for you, I'm willing to forgive him. I will forgive him if he promised never to repeat it again. Never to do it again. Right away, Rabbi Elazar entered the yeshiva and say, Le'olam ye'e adam rachka kane ve'al ye'e kasheka erez. I made my mistake, fine. But from this man, we have to learn another halacha, one more law. Don't be stubborn, forgive, easy. Don't make the people crazy until you agree to forgive. No, no, no. Why? It's ego, pride, and, you know, it's not, it's not recommended. Sha'alut al-midav shel Rabbi Arda bar Ahava. We have a rabbi, his name Rabbi Ada bar Ahava. That's his name. I don't know who was Ahava, his father or mother. Ahava means love. That's the name. What made your life long? Was a very old person. He told them, I never got angry once in my entire life in my house. Which means I never got my wife angry, upset, uh, scared from me or anything like that. I never walked in front of a person that was greater than me in Torah. I never thought words of Torah in the dirty places, such as bathroom or streets that have the bathroom of the animals. It was common in those days. I never walked four steps in my entire life without a Torah and without feeling on my head and my arm. Not, I never made, you understand what we're saying here? From the day he became Bar Mitzvah, Almost a hundred years we're talking here about. He never walked four steps without feeling on him. Yeah, that's how everybody used to wear it all day long. Why people don't wear it today? Because we go to dirty places, the women are not modest in the street, the body is not clean, people don't know how to keep a clean body, people can fall asleep with that. The nature of the people are, is different. People are weaker today. They sit after five minutes, they doze, they fall asleep. And are not allowed to fall asleep with feeling. Name of God on you and you're falling asleep. So that, that's why we are not worthy of walking with feeling all day. But I know a few major chachamim in Yerushalayim that they don't take their feeling all day long. And they stay with that even at night. For Arvit, 10 o'clock at night, he still has that feeling on. doesn't take it off. Only when he goes to sleep. Two. The Faradim, the Kabbalists, they, they were two, yeah. So, I never fell asleep in the yeshiva, not whole night, and not even a short sleep, which means 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 20 minutes. I never put my head down to sleep. 
inside the Bet Midrash, the yeshiva. I was never happy when one of my friends made a mistake or had some kind of an incident. Today, people are very happy when their friends either losing or something bad happened. It comforts them. Oh, good. Not only me, I have problems. Oh, he also has Oh, it makes me feel better. It's called Tzarat Rabim Chatsi Nechama. Problems for, the, for many, for many people, it's half a comfort for a person who listens to it. Somebody comes and tells you, you know, there's 10 people over there. They all became very sick today and this, they couldn't walk. And it happened to him also. Hearing that 10 more people had the same problems, it's half a comfort already. It's half cure already. Why? Because other people are in the same junk like me. But what's the answer to these fools? What's the answer? Tzarat rabim nechamat tipshim. Problems for many people, it's comfort for the fools, not half a comfort. Only fools are comforting themselves by other people's agony. You're going to get punished for it. What kind of comfort is that? Comfort today and tomorrow you have to pay ten times worse? It's not a comfort. It's an illusion. Then the Gemara continues. Tanura Banan. You know, this winter in Israel, three months there was no rain, now all of a sudden, explosion. Few days, rain non-stop, floods all over, Baruch Hashem. Still, we're still way below the red line. In the Kinneret, which is the main water source in Israel, everybody drinks from the Kinneret in Tiberia, the lake. That's way, it's maybe more than 10 feet below the red line. To fill up the whole lake like this, 10 feet, it's a lot, you need tons of rain. But, this is what the Torah has to say about the rain. Venatati gishmechem be'itam. Not, it's not enough to have a lot of rain. It's important the timing of the rain for the farmers. The farmers need the rain around Sukkot. Too much after, that's it, everything dies out. Now it can be floods. It's not going to help anymore. All the, 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 the tomatoes, the cucumbers, the melons, whatever it is, it's all gone. Who needs now water? Yeah, you need for drinking, for taking showers, of course. But for the fruits and the vegetables and the wheat, the barley, everything that we need, it's already gone. So it's very important, the timing. If it comes too late or too early, too early it's also bad. You expect it around Sukkot, and it comes before Rosh Hashanah, two or three weeks before, it's also a problem. No? You know, the Torah says, we send Shema Israel every day, three times a day. Hashem stopped the sky. It won't be rains. And you're going to be lost from the land, from the good land, which God forbid is a, it's a tragedy. But something very interesting. When we say in Shema Israel, the third chapter, it's about tzitzit. lachem tzitzit. On the four corners of your clothes, you should have tzitzit. Uritem oto, you're going to see it. Uzchartem et kol mitzvot Hashem, you're going to remember the entire mitzvot of the Torah. Uzchartem et kol mitzvot Hashem. So it means the tzitzit that you go around you also reminds you about all the mitzvot of the Torah. And what comes right after that? Doing, following, fulfilling the mitzvot makes you holy. Nothing else. Not the size of your beard. 
Not how long is your peot, not how big and tall is your hat, nothing else. Not the clothing that you wear, not the faces that you make when you pray, nothing else. You want to be holy, you learn Torah, seriously, you keep the mitzvot, you be a modest person, you be an honest person, you don't be a liar, you cannot lie too much, you don't say, you go around, everything is a lie for you. The more mistakes you make, the more holiness you lose. It doesn't pay. Because everybody wants to be holy in the eyes of God. Who doesn't want to be holy? It's, it's a major goal. We can achieve it with our own efforts and our own integrity. But you definitely will never be holy just by the external image. Oh, look, you know, I, look at my white beard. Wow, it's so impressive. You can fool the people. You cannot fool Hashem. So the Torah says, He's speaking about the damage that the rain sometimes can do. We don't want too much. We don't want too little. We want it average, the, what's necessary. Right? Because if the rain is too much and too strong on the ground, it doesn't help the food. It destroys them. You know that. If you, if you know a little bit about being a farmer, you know that that's, that's not what they want. And plus, it comes with storms and winds, and all the fruits fall from the trees, etc., etc. It says, Be'itam, the Torah says, I'm giving you the rain in the right time. So it's not only speaking about the season, beginning of the, of the season and finishing the season. No. We're also speaking what day of the week and what time of the day the rain should fall. Today, it's not so critical because everyone have car or umbrellas and there's buildings to hide. No, worse comes to all and there's good coats today. The rain doesn't make a major damage. If a person gets caught in the rain, he has where to hide. But in the old days, there was no places like this. People walk in forests, in deserts. It can be three weeks of walking. It can be on a donkey, on a horse. Where are you going to hide? It's pouring rain on you, all your stuff, everything gets spoiled. So, when is the rain recommended? On Friday night, Erev Shabbos. Why? Everyone is at home. No one walks on Erev Shabbat. People are either at home, or if they walk from city to city, they stay in motel or by someone, right? In town. So, Friday nights, no one walks in the street. Make sure you give us the rain on Friday nights. Right? That means that other nights is not so good. People used to walk, even late at night when there was no light, no electric. People still used to walk, sometimes an emergency. Also, Wednesday night doesn't apply to today, Wednesday night. But in the old days, why? What's special about Wednesday night? Because Wednesday night, there was a major demon who comes out and everyone is afraid to be out that night. Gemara says Kabbalah stuff. Since everyone was afraid to walk in those days, the demons have major power in those days, not like today. They still have some power, but nothing compared to them. The higher the holiness is, the higher the impurity is. It always has to be equal, balanced. The lower the holiness in the world, the lower the impurity and the demons and the Satan and all the rest of the things. Always go up together and go down together. So some things is the opposite of the other. They can never go up together and go down together. For instance, Israel and Ishmael. When Israel goes up, automatically Ishmael sinks, the Arabs. 
When Israel goes down spiritually, the Arabs goes up. All the problems we have in this generation from them, it's because of us, nothing because of them. We get angry at them, they do terrorism, this and that. This is a punishment to the world from God. He's using this wild beast that called Ishmael in the Torah. The Torah called him a wild beast to punish all the people around him. Everyone who deserves this fear and living under stress. You never know, you get on a bus, you get on a plane, you take your shoes. All the suffering that we have to the, on the walls because of these Arab terrorists. Not all Arabs. There are many Arabs that are very good people. They live their life, they love God, they try to be honest, they do what needs, the wife is mad, it's fine. They're not making any damage to anyone. They are the one, by the way, who suffer the most. Because everywhere they go, everybody looks at them automatically like terrorists. Why? Because there is a chance. There's no way to tell who is innocent and who is a terrorist. Especially when you have women with babies even come and explode. They used to come with a baby, boom, and explode on the soldiers. You don't know what to expect. So they're really hurting their own people. And I'm sure that many of these people, if they had the guts to speak out loud, they would do it. But you know, in their countries, if you speak against the, the terrorism, you'll be the first one to get hurt. So it's no freedom of speech over there. So when Israel is up, Ishmael and his damages and terrorism and fighting for the land is all dying out. When we down, Hashem gives them the power. That's what's happening. The Gemara says, in, those, when, in the time of Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach, there was a big tzaddik, about 2,000 years ago, there was such a blessing in the land that the rains were falling out on Wednesday and on Friday nights, routine, every week. Wednesday night, Friday night. Mamash, a miracle. So the wheat became like the size of the kidneys. A kidney? You know how big the wheat was? You don't need tons of wheat. You take a few of them, you grind them, you have beautiful challah bread. It was so blessed. And the barley, like olives. And the beans, like the coins of gold, which is like a quarter size or something like that. And they kept, people kept them in jars. People kept the wheat, the barley, and the, and the beans in jars to show their grandchildren. Come and see the difference between your generation to ours. Look at the wheat today and look at the wheat in our days to show you that there in Eretz Israel there is no nature. Of course there is nature. But the nature is subject to the righteousness of the people of the land. So when they come, when they come to their grandchildren and show them the wheat and the barley, how perfect it is, and the beans, how big and nice and symmetric. You know, I want to tell you something that you may not know. It actually became a little bit famous, but I'm not sure if you heard or not. One student from Bar Ilan University decided to make an experiment. What's the experiment? The experiment is, he took beans, the seeds of beans, and he put them on a cotton, cotton balls, you know, he made them wet, he put them, now they're supposed to start growing roots. He put them in a room, and he put few guys every day from morning to night to read Tehillim, Psalms. All day they speak words of Torah. 
no cursing, no jokes, nothing secular, only words of wisdom and religion. And in the next door, over there in a different room, he hired few people to sit there all day and curse and scream and get angry and do all the things that we're not supposed to do. And he puts the beans over there and he's showing his experiments. Come see how the behaving of the people affect nature. The beans that were in a, in a room with the holy people grew up perfect, big, symmetric, nice, fast, perfect. And the beans in the other week, in the other room, all crooked, no roots came out, one side yes, one side no. Mamash horrible, you cannot even use them. Very interesting. That's one of the reasons why we do Hanukkah Bait when we buy or rent in a, a house or an apartment. Why? We're renewing the place spiritually. Physically, you cannot renew the place. The place is as it is. 50 years old, 100 years old. In Belgium, where I went a few weeks ago, in the streets where I stayed, I saw that the doors, it's more than 10 feet high, or maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe 8 feet. Double than this big door. Look at this big door, double on the height. So I asked the owner of the house, why all the houses, why all the houses in these streets have such big doors? He said, you know when these houses were built? In the 1600s. They're 400 years old, these houses. From the very old days in, in Antwerp. You know, in the streets where all the Jews live, it's, and not to talk that it's very expensive houses, but you see the design is from hundreds of years ago. He said, my, my house is from 1880. 1,200 years. I mean, I mean, 120, 130 years. But the other houses here, 400 years old. So somebody else told me they used to bring the horses. How the horse going to walk in with such a small door? You have horses, you have things, you have camels, whatever they had 200, 300 years ago. They didn't have cars like today. Where are they going to store the animal? So some houses, they have a barn in the back. Still old, mamash, like history. But what happens if it's freezing? It's also freezing over there. Where are you putting the animal? They freeze. You got to put them in. You have to make sure you have in the front a place to put them. It's interesting. We don't see it so much here in New York, but that's how it is. So we do Hanukkah Tabayit because the people who live there made a lot of sins. They care, they have problems. Sometimes people got murdered there. Who knows? We clean the house from all the bad energy by doing Hanukkah Tabayit. It's very important. Then we move on. The prophet Jeremiah, Irmia, uh, maybe you move to the front that the ladies can sit in the last row there. Come, come here, to the front. Thank you. So, the prophet Irmia, this is what he says, Avonotechem ele. What's the difference between Chet and Avot? Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu. What's the difference between Chet and Avon? Chet means not intentional. Avon means intentional. So he's talking about intentional sins. Your intentional sins brought all this bad to you. Vechatotechem, and the not intentional sins, Chet, Manu Atov Mikem. 
Okay, let's explain. It's very, very important verse to learn about life. Don't ever forget this verse. Now we're going to see the impact of our sins to our life. What's the difference between making an intentional sin and not intentional sin? When you make an intentional sin, the good that you have turn to bad. You need a major impact here to, to do such a thing. When it's a not intentional sin, it's preventing the good to come from coming. But it's not taking the actual good and turns it into bad. It's very interesting because in the Jewish law, if you stole money from a person, you are guilty. You must pay him the money. Doesn't matter you have, you don't have, you're guilty. You die, you're still guilty. You have to return the money. You go to hell, it doesn't help you. You steal all the money. You're going to have to reincarnate it again until you pay back the money. That's one of the reasons why many people suffer. Their boss is rude to them. It's cheap, you know, all kinds of problems that they have. They lose money. People stole from them. We don't always understand the connection. Sometimes come to correct previous lives. But if a person prevent profit from you, you cannot sue them in court. Which means, if you stand by your store and tell people, don't go in, the food is not so fresh there. Whatever. You say to customers, or go over there, it's cheaper. Revenge. He doesn't like the owner of the store. He stands by there, he puts somebody, he pays him $10 an hour. Every customer who comes, say, go over there, it's much cheaper. So he's preventing you from making profit. Or... He makes construction in front of your store. Nobody see the sign. Nobody see your business. Your business dropped 50% for two, three weeks. Who's going to pay you? Here in, in America, you have to sue the city. Big deal until you get a penny from the city. You'll probably be a grandpa by then. Maybe your grandkids will enjoy it. You know, it's difficult to win against uh, major corporations. But... Not that in Israel is better, it's even harder, but this is it. But if the Torah says that if he stole from you money, he's guilty and you can sue him and he has to pay. And if he doesn't have, they repossess what he has, judgment, liens, whatever. But if he prevents profit from you, he's guilty in heaven. Of course, God will punish him. But over here, the court cannot take actions against him. They can warn him to stop. And he's going to be forced to stop. Otherwise, they penalize him. But for what happened until now, you don't pay in this world. They don't, they don't, if you're tzaddik, of course you have to pay for your sins. But preventing profit is not as bad as taking money and burn it. You understand what I'm saying here or no? Taking uh, my friend's money and burn it, $500, now I'm guilty. I have to pay him $500. Preventing him from making $500. A customer went into the store. I was about to give him $500. I said, ah, don't give it to him. He's a crook. And he went out. It's really almost the same, no? No. The money didn't get to his position yet. And well, it's calculation. It's not the same. Over here, the same thing. Intentional scenes, take what you have and make it into sour. This is going to be the cancer of a person. Sometimes he has millions of dollars. His sins are so severe and so intentional. What does Hashem do? With the money, he buries him. If he wouldn't have money, he wouldn't die. He wouldn't get all the problems that he had. 
He gave him a girl that went after him just because she saw him driving a nice car and he has a beautiful watch. She was waiting there for weeks until he returns back to the mall and she hunted him. And then I don't have to tell you the rest what happened. Not, not always. Depends what you do with the money. One guy sent me an email today. Baruch Hashem is already clever. He keeps the seven law of Noah. He already knows what to waste time on Christianity. But now he has an interesting question. What's his question? So I watched your lecture about Tzedakah and the 10% that the Jews are obligated to give to Tzedakah. And he said, I've been giving donations to all kinds of places. Now I want to understand, as a goy, as a non-Jew, am I obligated to give 10% for my income like the Jews have or not? What do you think the answer is? What would you answer him? The answer is, it's pretty simple. It's not obligated. The, the obligation is to the nation of Israel. But what would you answer this Gentile? What would you tell him? When someone offers you a great investment, a stock that will go up a thousand percent every year, would you think twice or not? Would you ask, am I obligated to invest in your company? <laughs> you run and sell your underwear if you have to. Uh, every five dollars, a thousand percent. Five dollars become uh, 500, you know. It's, uh, you ask if you're obligated or not, so I answer him. From the Torah, you're not obligated. God doesn't hold you guilty if you didn't give 10%. But the more you give, the more you invest, because they also have life after life. They also get rewarded or punished for what they did, good or bad. So that can save you from a lot, because giving money is giving your blood. How do you call money in Hebrew? Blood. Damim, Dmei Chanukah, Meshalem lo bedamim. Damim, Dmei, Damim, they always dam, blood. Why? Because you give your blood to make money. It's not so simple. And plus, I wrote to him, as also a difference, because he was saying that uh, they're asking from him to give money to a synagogue. They already know he's a righteous guy. So they ask, they're building some synagogue somewhere where he is. I don't want to give too, many, too much details. But uh, they're building a synagogue, and uh, so I told him, synagogue, it's important, but it's not the major thing. There are things that are much more important, such as Torah, such as saving souls, teaching Torah, making people closer to God, making people religious, giving them books, giving them CDs is the highest level, because everything they do, it counts that you did, so, which is very good investment. Synagogue, we have too many. If it was a way to return us in time, half of them should have been not built. Just here alone in Queens, how many hundreds of synagogues you have? 38? I, already, I know more than 100. You're telling me 38? Queens, whole Queens. Every week or two, building up a new synagogue. Two million, three million, five million. You come to the synagogue, they have room for three, four hundred people, 25 people come to pray. Sometimes they don't have minyan, they stand on the street, hey, it's already 10.30, no minyan. Why do we need so many, you know why there are so many synagogues? 
because people have bad personality. That's the connection. The only reason why we have so many synagogues is because people are full of ego and full of baloney. If they would put their ego down, everybody would manage together and we would save ourselves a billion dollars at least. Why every week they open a new one? A group of people don't like the rabbi, they go and open another one. A group of people don't like the other group of people, they go and open another one. The people who speak Hebrew don't have patience to repeat it in English for the people who don't understand. They don't have manners, so they go and open an Israeli synagogue. The people who speak Russian, they don't like that they speak English, so they go and open another synagogue. You understand what's happening? Everybody has bad midot, and because of that, it costs millions of dollars. When you're good, you don't need to lose so much. If a person is really good, 99% of his expenses for medic medicine and doctors are automatically avoided. He doesn't have divorce problem. He doesn't need private detective to follow his wife, right? He doesn't need all the dirty movies to rent every day because he doesn't look into this garbage. He doesn't need cable, I don't know what it costs, cable, 5,000 channels. I get these brochures in my mail. <laughs> get a dish, 5,000 channels. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know, it's crazy. What a person's... Is from the day he's going to get the dish, by the time he gets to the last channel, he'll be a grandpa. <laughs> and then he's always going to think, what am I missing? Wow, 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 quick, quick. By the time I get there, the show will be over. You know, stupidity. Calculate. Most of the money that we pay, we wouldn't have to pay. Yeah. Same thing houses, mortgages. People have big eyes. They used to live in very tiny apartments. I see where my father grew up, one room, one room, seven brothers and sisters, and father and mother, nine people in one room. No rooms. One room and a little cabin in the back for showers manually. How long ago? Six years ago, seven years ago, 50 years ago. The house is still there. Many times it's almost collapsed. So the city comes and put a little bit of cement, you know making it stand another five years. The shower is still like then. You have to fill up a thing, and, 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 you, and that's how, no electric inside the shower. Much like it was. Today, you have a lot of Chinese that works in Israel. They live over there. For them, it's luxury. Where they came from in, in villages of China, what's over there? They don't even have a shower over there. So they come. For them, it's good. No Israeli agreed to live in these places anymore. They became very modern now. No, we're European, we're Europe, we're part of Europe already. Look at the terminal, the airport, all a show-off. Most of the things we buy, it's a show-off. $50,000 watch. Are you normal? I think that even if I had $100 million cash, I wouldn't allow myself to spend $30,000 on a watch. Knowing with this money I can make a thousand ballet tshuva. How would I forgive myself? walking with some such garbage, $30,000 on my hand. Not to talk about the six other that he has in his safe. And when you come to him, help us. We want to give tens of thousands of CDs to new people to wake them up, to see who is Hashem, what's the Torah. Whoa. You have big eyes. It's too much. Five minutes later, he ordered his new Mercedes, $15,000 for all the toys. 
this kind of GPS, this kind of stereo, put extra to speak, make the double sunroof, all kinds of toys. Cannot live without it. That's what happens when a person lives in a lie. It only gets worse. We're only sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. I remember one woman came to see my house for sale. First thing she told my wife, oh, I hate that the laundry room is upstairs. By me, we throw the laundry and it goes all the way to the basement and we have the laundry, the machines in the basement. Maybe we'll make a little noise when you make laundry. You know, maybe in the other room you hear it, the machine. Psh, cannot leave. Wow, it's a tragedy. You know? <laughs> you understand? Now, this is a religious woman, not talking, uh, you know, somebody from Zimbabwe. We're talking religious woman, you know, she sees it all day like Tehillim, like this. Wow, the laundry room is not in the basement. Anyway, everybody knows the story of Nahum Ish Gamzu, even the kids. But it's worth it to repeat it one more time a little bit deeper. There was a rabbi, Nahum Ish Gamzu. Why his name is Gamzu? Gamzu, it's two words. Gam, it's also. Zu means this. You, everything happened to him, he said, this is also for good. It looks horrible, it's for good. It's for good. There's no bad from God, only good. That's what he used to say. The Gemara say, he was blind in his two eyes. He has no hands, his hands is chopped off. He has no legs. His body full of all kinds of, uh, not leprosy, all kinds of... Uh, Wounds, open pass. You know, you don't have hands to each. The flies come and stand and tickle you. Imagine the suffering. That's his life. He was inside a house that's about to fall any second. Very poor. The legs of his bed are inside buckets of water. Why? That the ants and the, and the, and the leopards cannot climb up. They smell the pass. The ants, they want to come. So he put it in inside why water? Because snakes, all the crawling animals, they go, they go by smell. They smell and that's how they know where to go. That's their GPS, smelling. But when there is water, it eliminates the ability to smell. Once they reach water, they don't know where to turn. If a snake is after you, and you run into the water, a woman, snakes have strong desire for women. We spoke about it in one of the lectures. If you want to get safe from him, there are two options. Either you run into a water or a lake or anything nearby, that said he cannot follow you anymore, or you take one of your clothes or, or coat, whatever, and you throw it away. And he will confuse him, because he's closer to the ground, and he goes there and he's going to choke your coat or whatever it was and leaves you alone. So. The ants cannot climb on a bed to protect him from itching because he cannot itch. One time he said to his students from the yeshiva to move his bed out of the house, to move all the utensils, the, the, the furniture, and he said, first take all the furniture, take the utensils, take the tools, only the last thing. You take my bed out, but make sure nobody stays in the house. Only after my bed and me will be completely out of the house. I mean, you're going to be out and drag it out. Don't pick it up like this, because the house will fall. 
As soon as I come out, the house will collapse. Why? He knew this house was supposed to fall down 20 years ago. Why standing? I never made a scene in my life. God is keeping the house standing, thanks to me. Doesn't want the house to collapse on me. As soon as I get out of the house, it will collapse. There will not be a miracle for another second. Robert, yeah. Uh, we know that if somebody doesn't speak Alashan Arab because they are mute, they don't get rewarded. So if a guy like that, he cannot do a sin. Is that something that he should be rewarded? First of all, you didn't finish to hear the story. He just became like this. He was healthy all his life. Now we're going to explain how he became with no hands and with no eyes and all this. But all his life he never made a scene when he was perfectly fine. Besides, I disagree with what you say. Even a person that is disabled and because of that he doesn't make scenes, he's still pure. What's the proof? There was a woman that was buried and they had to move her grave. And they took her out of her grave and she, her body was complete. She wasn't any rabbi, she wasn't a holy woman. Her body was complete, no holes, the worms didn't touch her. She's complete after many years that she was buried. So they went to investigate who this woman was. She went into coma since she was a little girl. 70 or 60 years she was in coma. You believe such a thing? Somebody in Poland was in coma, what, 20 years? And he opened up his eyes after 20 years. It's very strange, this coma situation, you never know, a person can get up one day. Even Sharon, the Prime Minister of Israel, four years in coma. Don't be surprised if tomorrow he wake up. What's gonna be the first question that he's gonna ask, who knows? <laughs> yes, very smart. Did you complete the evacuation of Gush Katif? You gave it to the Arab uh, terrorist? Ah, good. But no, it didn't work out. They continue to shoot missiles on us ten times more. Okay, let me go back into coma. Better not to see what I did. Why is it like this? You know why it's like this? Three weeks before he went into coma, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef, the chief rabbi of Israel, say in his lecture, it's recorded. It says he's going to sleep, didn't say to die, and will never get up. Not never, will not get up. He say he will sleep, Ishan velo yakum, that's his words in Hebrew. Ishan will go to sleep, velo yakum, and will not get up. It's very strange to get to such a, first of all, it's very rare. That a person going into coma. It's not, you're either alive or you're dead. But it can, t- it can be very ma- many, many years. The Gemara said that Chonia Ma'agel was 70 years. 70 years, he got up after seven years, he saw trees from the previous generation, how they grew already, and 70 years, he was in, what was it? You cannot sleep for seven years. It was in coma, 70 years. The interesting thing is, that when they finally open their eyes, they cannot move, you know. They cannot lift a finger. Their muscles, everything is dead. Cannot do anything. I doubt that if they can even blink, they have to put liquid in their eyes, the muscles don't work. It takes long, long time to get them back into good shape. Hashem irachem. So he says to them, so this woman was in coma all her life. She never spoke Lashonara. She never jealous with anyone. She was not, you know, so she became complete because the Torah said, why the worms eat the body? 
if a person was jealous, speaking Lashonara and all these things, that's the reaction. The worms and all that, they eat him alive, I mean dead. But if he wasn't, then they don't touch him. Rekev atzamot kin'ah. It's pasuk in Tehilim. Rekev atzamot kin'ah. What makes the bones rotten in a grave? Jealousy. Number one reason. So if a person trusts God, whatever you give me, I'm happy with. That's what you want. I'm happy. I'm very happy. I'm very happy. Could have been a million times worse. I spoke to a friend of mine. He was a big shot in business, was running seven doctor's offices. Major person. One day got fired, a year and a half, he cannot find a job. Even in half of what he used to make. No jobs. Economy collapsed two years ago. As I always tell you, it's going to be a lot worse. Almost every person I know and speak to is in a very serious financial crisis. Either don't pay the mortgage, don't have a job, don't have food for his children, cannot give a penny to the car, even if he wants. That's the situation of most people. Don't be fooled by Manhattan that you see cars and businesses and people. This is the major company all, from all over the world. Chinese companies are still billionaires. Over there, the crisis didn't start yet. From India, from Saudi Arabia, from uh, Qatar, from all this, they own buildings. There's a lot of foreign business in Manhattan. Manhattan is not an indication about the situation here in the United States. The situation in the United States is worse than critical. Worse than critical. Even the diamond dealers, the only ones who make business is people who go to Hong Kong, Beijing, places like this, or to Arab sheikhs that buy big, expensive diamonds. The rest, nobody buys diamonds. In America, nobody buys gold. Everyone sells gold. All the stores became buying gold. We're buying gold. Instead of selling gold, they're buying gold. Why? Nobody has money. That's a very serious problem. And who knows? We don't know where it's going to get to. It could be signs of days of Mashiach. One of the things the Gemara said before Mashiach come, and Ben David Ba'at Shalot Ichle Minakis. The Mashiach doesn't come until people will be completely broke. So that's it, I don't have a penny. Help! The salvation may begin. Hopefully, no, I don't know what to say, but that's it. So we continue. He said to them, okay, take me first, pull me, first you go out, and then you pull me out. As, as he said, that's what happened, the house collapsed. They told him, if you're such a tzaddik, if you're such a righteous person, how did you become like this? He said, I did it to myself. Why? One time I was walking on the way to my father-in-law, and I had three donkeys full of all the best. Candies, food, oil, whatever you need. Drinks, wines. One poor person came on my way and said, Rebbe, Parneseni, give me something to eat, I'm starving. I told him, okay, wait until I untie the bags. I turned around, I started to open the, you know, the nuts. I opened the bags to give him food. By the time I turned around, he fell and died. When I saw that, I was so upset. I say, if I would only rush a minute faster, maybe he wouldn't be dead. 
I killed him. I fell on his body and I started to say, the eyes that did not have mercy on your eyes should be blind. And I became blind. My hands that did not rush to give you food will be chopped off. And that's what happened. My legs that didn't run to the donkeys will be chopped off. That's what happened. And all that, I still didn't relax. He was cursing himself. He said, my whole body will be full of shechin. Pass. They told him, oi, that we had to see you like this. The, the students. He said, oi, if you didn't see me like this. That's what I deserve. Not like today. We lose $500. We sit two weeks and cry and complain. Hashem, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> what did he do? Did he make a scene? Turn around and he was about to give him food for free. He didn't rush enough. Maybe he should have he didn't expect him to die. In completely innocent. No, 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 I'm not innocent. I'm guilty. And that's why he said everything for good. All his life it was like this. The Gemara say Abba Umna, there was another Chacham. Every day he hears an echo in his ear from heaven. Don't be so surprised. I know a woman here in Queens that has the same thing, but the echo is her grandfather. He died many years ago. Every once in a while he whisper in her ears and tell her, go here, go there. Interesting. It happened to her after she died and came back to life. It's called clinical death. One other person he told me one time, and this is all normal people. He come to me and say, once in a blue moon, I hear a name of somebody in my ear. If it's on the right ear, something very good happened the next day to that person. I get a phone call or I hear. If it's in the left ear, he dies the next day. He said, he comes to me and says, I'm not holy. I'm not righteous, I keep Torah and mitzvot, I learn Torah, but I'm nothing, I'm, I'm just telling it to you, nobody knows about it. What is it to be asking me? What is it? I'm, I'm getting nervous. I don't know what is it. Hashem didn't put me in a board of uh, heaven yet to know everything that happens. But things like this happen in the world here and there. But this, it's in the Torah already. That's it, it's an integral part of the oral Torah of the Talmud. Abba Umna, Every day, they say to him, hello, Rabbi, from heaven. Abaye, which is another rabbi in the Talmud, from one Shabbat to one Shabbat, once a week. Rava, which was learning with Abaye together, Hevruta, from Yom Kippur to Yom Kippur, once a year. When Abaye found out, he felt great. Every week, every week, somebody says to me from heaven, hello to you. It's a good sign. When he found out that this Abba Umna has it every day, and he has it once a week, he put him down, which means, that means I'm not perfect. He's better than me. What can I do better? You see, when a person today is going to be 95% righteous, he'll be very, very satisfied. No, 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 I'm great with the way I am. 
But the real goal is always to, to search how can I be better. No matter where you are, it always has to be the same thought. What can I do better from yesterday? What can I do better from two days ago? What? All the time, what can I improve? My tzedakah, my Shabbat, my modesty, my Torah. All the time, if you stand in one place, you begin to think. So, you know, like you throw a ball to the air. Keeps going higher, higher, higher. And the minute it stops, it begins to collapse. It goes down. There's no standing. That's why we say, olam kulo gesher tsar meod. The whole world is a very, na- life is a very narrow bridge. Why bridge? Not, why not a very narrow way? Why bridge? Because in a way, you can stop on the side and rest. Nobody is bothering you. But on the bridge, you cannot stop for one second. You stop, you're finished. <laughs> on the way here, coming down on a ramp to FDR Drive, poor two ladies got stuck with a BMW on the ramp, if you know what I'm talking about, taking FDR all the way uh, towards the, the, the George Washington Bridge, two lanes, rush hour, two lanes, 20,000 cars online, all FDR drive, one jam. What? I say to my son, <laughs> look where they got stuck. <laughs> the worst place, the worst place. Rush hour, two lanes, now one is black. Maybe 10 miles, bumper to bumper, because of those two ladies that got stuck there. Now, what do you think makes them suffer more? That the car broke, or that all the people are cursing them right now? Huh? Now, if the people that were waiting there had Torah and Irat Shamaim, not only they wouldn't curse them, everyone get out of the car and see what he can do for them. Let's, pu- let's push it. Let, let's move to the side, help you get down. How can I continue to drive? And I know somebody is stuck there and maybe he needs help. One time I had a flat tire on the Palisades Parkway, 11 o'clock in the morning. Every 10 seconds, not a minute, every 10 seconds, a car was pulling over. All religious Jews, yarmulke, beard, hats. Why? They see me with the yamaka. They cannot go, go on right away. What do you need? You need help? One guy drove, look for a store to get me a spray because we couldn't open the flat tire, the, 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 the screws. It, couldn't, it was stuck. So let me go look for 10W40. He doesn't know me. Another guy stopped by for maybe two hours. We couldn't open the screws. Raining on us. The guy doesn't give up. Let me call, let me see who we can bring. That's decent people, not egoistic. But this can only happen when you know there is I who watch over you. No other way. No other way. I promise you, if you tell these religion people you are all wrong, there's no God, God forbid. They wouldn't be like this. It's not their nature. It's because there's God who watch over us. Honesty, it's not because of the police. Very easy to steal today. No, it's because of Hashem. Very easy. You can cheat. You can steal. Most case, most thieves don't get caught. They catch one out of a thousand. What's with the other one? They feel lucky. We got away with that. Sov ganavlet Every thief will be hung. If not here, over there. In the end, everybody pays. 
and pays double. And won't enjoy the money he stole. Three punishments. Pay double. It's double punishment. And the money he stole will not have a blessing. Doctor's appointment, cancer, surgery, the boy, this, cast. Who knows? Engine went on fire. He bought a car, he didn't insure it. The next morning he wasn't in your driveway. I'll give you many examples of thieves, what happened to them. But of course they don't see the connection. They're still happy. Ooh, I'm lucky that I stole. If I wouldn't steal, what would I do now when they stole my car? He doesn't know the only reason they stole is because you're a thief. But do you think they came to you? Your neighbor has a much better car across the street. What, they blind? Why they wanted a Ford when there's a Mercedes right there? Because Hashem sent them to you. They decided to steal. And he directed them to you. What do you think? So, Abaye, I don't want to say jealous. Even though in mitzvot you're allowed to be jealous. Somebody is more righteous than you. It's a mitzvah to be jealous with him because that's the only way we can go higher and higher. If you see somebody is very smart, you want to be like him. Since you're jealous, you become better. That's the nature of people. So he wanted to know why Abba Umna gets hello every day. So he wanted to see. He's making an investigation now. He followed this Abba Umna to see what he does. He found out that he's a doctor. No. It's good to be a doctor. Or bad, depends who you are. If you're stuck up full of ego, the worst thing can happen to you is that you're a doctor. Why? You go express to hell. Why? Because you think you're God. You think you're God. You come home to your wife, I saved the patient today. I saved the life of a person. And even when someone dies, you feel that you killed him. It's also a part of your ego. Because you think life and death is in your hand. And second problem is, since you're full of ego and you don't have patience for people, you don't answer the patients, you, you don't care what they, you know, and when you see dead bodies and people are suffering around you, it's already routine for you. It doesn't make you suffer when you see someone screaming with pain. Yeah, it's every day. Wow, I got used to it. It's very dangerous. It's a very tricky job. But if you're righteous... You do it first to save the person. I give you an example. Two doctors. One Shomer Shabbat, one not Shomer Shabbat. One is keeping Shabbos, one is not. And now, God forbid, you have, your son had a pikuach nefesh, an emergency on Shabbat, life risk. You bring him now to the hospital on your hands. You took a cab, you got to hospital, you run, you take the elevator to the eighth floor. You come out, you see a doctor with a yarmulke. And in Israel, that all the doctors almost are Jews, almost. Some are Arabs, but most of them are Jews. Here in America, it's half and half. But over there, it's 95%, 98% Jews. So you see right away, there's a Jew with the yarmulke and a Jew without the yarmulke. And, and, and you know you need an operation. And an operation is Chilul Shabbat, like taking a knife, cutting the skin, making blood. It's against the law of Shabbat. So, for instance, if you want to make a plastic surgery, not allowed on Shabbat. It's not urgent. Do it on Sunday. But if it's a life risk, you must do it. To which doctor you should go? The one who keeps Shabbos and you're going to make him violate the rules of Shabbat? Or to the doctor who anyway doesn't care about Shabbos? He just came with his car and his smoke or whatever he does. He doesn't keep Shabbat. To which doctor you should put your son there? 
Ah, what's the halacha? The one who keeps Shabbos. And I'm not talking because of mystical reasons, that his hands are more blessed because he's religious. And no, no, not because of that. Even if the other one has a great reputation of a great surgeon. Why? Because the one who keeps Shabbos knows that right now he operates on your son and it's an obligation from the Torah, so he is a mitzvah right now. He doesn't want to be violating Shabbat. He's not a violator of Shabbat. He's only doing it because right now, temporarily, right now it became a mitzvah to violate Shabbat until you save the life of a patient. Over then you go back, you keep Shabbat. So since he does it for the mitzvah, there's no problem. The other person, for him, he doesn't care. He does it for the work, for the money. Why he comes to work every day? You tell him, you're not making money this month. Would he come to the hospital? He will go to Japan on vacation. Call me when you have money for me. But a person that knows I'm a doctor, first of all, I have an obligation to save life, and hopefully I'll get paid. So first I do it to save life. The other one does it for the money. So it's working on Shabbat. He doesn't, he's not allowed to violate Shabbat for, for pikuach nefesh, for life risk. Only someone who keeps Shabbat has permission to violate Shabbat. Someone who doesn't keep Shabbat, for him, is not doing it for the pikuach nefesh. Even if it wasn't pikuach nefesh, he would do the operation. You understand what I'm saying? The opposite of what some people may think. Since time is running out, I want to finish at least this case here. So it says like this. He follow him, he saw that he's a doctor. No, what's special about him? He made a separate room for boys, for men, separate room for women. Very nice. When he, saw, when he see a woman that he has to give her a shot, in those days there were no shots. What did they have? They have leech. They put leech. The leech sucks the blood, takes away some blood. And they have all kinds of primitive medicine, which sometimes was much more effective than the medicine today. We don't have all their knowledge like in the old days. But they used to, so if they have to, if the woman has to take off her arm now, over here, let's say, and he has to put the leech here, let's say. So it's not modest to see the arm of a woman. So he used to, he made a special kilt for the women that they have one little hole just in the place where he has to treat her that he doesn't see another inch of her body for no reason. Not like today in the hospital, they make you wear a kill, the whole back is open. And the woman, married woman, has to sit in front of a doctor. I don't want to tell you what a dirty mind he has and what movies he watched, this doctor. He has to see a, a mother of a children, he see her entire body, and who knows what goes through his mind. Even though technically doctors that work with that every day, it becomes routine for them, they're not supposed to think dirty. But there are many cases that ended up in molesting and all kinds of problems, which means we cannot rely on them. If you wouldn't have any incident, then you know, okay, listen, it's a place of work. He doesn't have time now to think about sins. But reality doesn't show that that's the case. If you have two or three cases, that's it. You got to think, this is a rubber here. This is a, this, this is a danger for me. That's why some people, when they take their wife to the doctor, they make sure to go there, even if they work. They take off. Why? To prevent problems. Not to talk that sometimes they put them to sleep and who knows what's next. There are places in the world that they steal organs from your body in the middle of a surgery. You know that or not? Everything is closed. 
They open the thing. For instance, let's say they have to make an operation in a stomach. They steal a kidney, and you don't know. And they close that, and they sell the kidney for $150,000 in a black market. And it's every week, few cases like this. There's places almost all over the world, including Israel, that when a body is dead, they make an, an autopsy on the body, and they steal parts from the body, bones, and they put pieces of wood instead, and, and sew the body and bury it. And according to the Torah, it's not allowed to steal organs, even from a dead body. They take uh, the pupils of the eye apart from the inside for transplanting it in a person uh, that has a problem in his eyes. They take all kinds of uh, very expensive organs from the body. What happens if one day this person has to resurrect, pieces of his body are missing in case this body will resurrect. We don't know which body will resurrect. The soul was in different bodies. But that's a, different, uh, a whole different topic. Let's finish this and we'll finish for today. So he saw that he's very modest with the patients. No, very good. When a poor person come, a poor patient come, he tells them what's the problem. He takes care of the problem and he says over there in the room there is a basket full of money. Just go put whatever you can over there. Whether it's a hundred dollars, whether it's a quarter, whatever you think you can pay, pay over there. I don't have to know. Go. Goodbye. I do it for the mitzvah, not for the money. And whatever parnasa comes from Hashem, Hashem doesn't send me money because I'm a doctor. Sends me money because he sends money to the bugs. So I'm better than them. He sends money to the Indians who kiss Buddha's legs every day. He won't send it to me. Of course he'll send me. I have to trust him and do what I have to do. That's why the Torah and the mitzvah comes before leaving. Before parnasa, worry, 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 all the time about money. In the end, a person realized it wasn't necessary. All this suffering, mental pressure, ah, I have money, I don't have, ah, for, no, for nothing. It doesn't get you anything. If any, it makes the situation worse. You complain so it becomes worse. Instead of being positive, trust God, even if the situation three, four months is very bad. What do I hear? A person tell me, I feel like shooting my head. Because one year I'm unemployed. That's how a righteous person has to talk. You know? I don't have to tell you what people went through in the Holocaust. If you read some books on the Holocaust, you will, not be, you will not be able to stop one second of your life singing and praising God for every little thing that we have, that we take it for granted, a court. Who is praising God? He has a court. You know what they went through in the Holocaust? No shirts. They make, they make them take a cold shower, freezing weather like outside, windy, freezing hail and, and snow falling heavily. And they take them wet out of the shower and make them stand all night until they freeze to death. Every day, same story like this. Caught? And this was a banker. He was a lawyer two months ago. He was a judge. He was the chief of the police in Germany or in Poland. And now... They took away his house, his chandeliers, his bank accounts, all the money he smuggled to Switzerland, the Swiss people stole, billions of dollars they stole after nobody came to claim the money, they took it, the Swiss. You know, a very, very tricky thing. It's a serial number, nobody knows. If you have an account over there, until these days, they didn't find 2% of the money Yasser Arafat stole. They don't know in which accounts they are. It's anonymous, only he knows the codes, nobody knows. $40 billion, nobody knows where they are. 
Don't be surprised. You know, all these leaders, they steal so much money. One day they die, they didn't tell anybody the secrets. The Swiss take it all. Very good business to be a banker in Swiss or in the Kingman Island or whatever. So it says like this. When a person comes and he doesn't have money, he let him come even for free when it's necessary. One time, a guest came to his house. He gave him food, everything. He took care of him like a king. In the middle of the night, the guest, they saw a beautiful rug that he has. They stole the rug and ran away. What did he do? He ran after the, the robbers in the market. No, he, he, came, he came to the market. You know, where can they sell the rug? Only in the, in the market. So he went to the market, and he comes to them, and says, how much you want for the rug? He didn't say, you ungrateful dog. You come, I feed you, I take care of you, I give you a bed, you steal my rug. No, nothing. How much you want for the rug? He said, $3,000. <laughs> okay, let me buy it from you. <laughs> doesn't say a word to the thief. It says like this. It says to, the, to him, you know, this is your rug. Why, do you, why are you so nice to us? He say, it cannot be that you're a thief. It doesn't even cross my mind. You're probably on the way to release a Jew from prison, and you need money for ransom. I want to participate in a mitzvah. Understand what a positive thinking? Today, there's no room anymore for people like this. People like this, you have a line next to their home, 10,000 bloodsuckers standing right by the door as soon as they come out, they attack. Today, people don't appreciate honest person. If you see an honest person, an honest client, instead of appreciating, instead of uh, you know, giving him your heart, people take advantage. Everything is the opposite. So Abaye, when Abaye saw it, he felt great. He said, really, he deserves hello every day. I, deserve, I get it once a week, but he deserves it, uh, things. I think we finish for today. I, I give you a preview of next week. And today, as you saw, I started exactly 8.30, and that's Bezrat Hashem, what's going to happen every week. So try to come on time. Uh, we're going to speak about... Uh, Rab Broka Hosea, that was working in a prison, and the mitzvot that he used to do in a prison. We're going to speak about Chonia Ma'agel that went to sleep for 70 years, and his ability to bring rain when people needed. Uh, Abba Chilkia, the grandson of Chonia Ma'agel, and his ability to make all kinds of miracles, and. What happened when there's no rains? What do they have to do in Israel when there's no rain? When too fast? When not too fast? Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, a very poor person, he doesn't have what to eat barely, and the whole world eats thanks to him, the circumstances with his life. Rabbi Elazar ben Pedat, that had nothing to eat, he had garlic and fainted. What happened to him when he died and later came back to life? Some, things, some of the things about Avraham Avinu, 
about the days when the Romans were in the land, and uh, people who work in holy days, what's blessing, not blessing, and the last thing I believe, I don't know if we're going to get that far, is what's going to happen when the righteous people, when they're going to be in heaven. It's very interesting. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to do, it's a special party and treatment to the righteous people in heaven. I think you don't want to miss it. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, sure.